You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. Well, welcome back to another episode of the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. It's Andy here. Today is the eve of the election. Tomorrow on May 18th, Australia goes to the polls, unless you're one of the millions of people who have already voted this election. We thought with the election being such a prominent issue in our society, we'd take a look back at a talk that Kirk gave us in 2016 at the last federal election. This talk was entitled, Who Would Jesus Vote For? And Kirk's going to take us on a journey looking at how we should approach politics and best practices for Christians, not telling us who to vote for, but rather how we should approach our voting, how we should frame our thinking about which politicians are worthy of running our country, and how we should come to that decision in a way that honours God. Now, of course, this episode is three years old now, so while many of the topics are still hot issues at this election, just remember that this is three years old and policies uh, have changed, and parties have changed as well. Leaders have definitely changed. So without any further ado, it's over to Kirk, bringing you Who Would Jesus Vote For from 2016? We're doing this series starting tonight called Not In Polite Company. So you might be going, well, what's, what's this series going to be about? Well, assume for a moment you've been invited to a fancy dinner party by your poshest, most proper friend. Everyone visualise that person. Uh, it could be a family member. Uh, very posh. They like things to be proper. They like things to be in place. They always use their manners. They're always very polite. Okay, so assume you've sort of been invited to this dinner party and as you're sitting around, you're sharing, uh, you know, you're sharing your opinion on a certain topic and you get this reaction from your very proper friend. You said what? All right? That's the sort of topics we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. Things that might get, cause polite people to spit water out of their mouth mid-drink. Right? Now, you're going, oh, what sort of topics would you be talking about uh, to cause that sort of reaction? Well, might have something to do with politics, might have something to do with religion. May it would, maybe it would be a delicious combination of politics and religion together in one topic. Or maybe uh, you've mentioned sex or sexuality or something to do with that. The sort of things that polite people tell us, you're better off not talking about those with other people and just keeping any thoughts you have about that private. Uh, keep it in your own heads. Probably best not to talk about it at home as well, but definitely don't talk about it at dinner and really definitely don't talk about it at church. That's the sort of thing that we're actually going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Because speaking personally... I've never really understood that sort of politeness. I've never been into it. Don't get me wrong. I'm okay with sort of normal politeness, like being respectful of people when you talk to them and sort of that's so, you know, acknowledging their presence in the room and that sort of thing. That sort of politeness is all good. But avoiding like really important topics because of politeness, I just think that's like a recipe for, for false relationships. And it's a recipe for dumb opinions because if you never talk about it, your own opinion never gets tested. And... When you think about the sort of issues I've mentioned so far, they affect pretty much everyone. So it's kind of dumb that we don't talk about issues that affect pretty much everyone. Also, as a Christian, I don't see the Bible avoiding those topics at all. If anything, the Bible likes to get its hands dirty and really delve into those topics. And this being God's word, uh, we want to make sure we're following that above whatever politeness people think 
we need to have. I'm going to read to you now a section from an article I actually posted on our Facebook page during the week. Um, just a couple of snippet, or a couple of sections from it. Um, it's by a lady called Jessica Smith, and she wrote this on CommonGrace.com. Common Grace is a website of Christians trying to have um, grace, gracious, grace-filled discussion around political issues in Australia. And I think she sums up where we're aiming for in this series. If I was trying to pitch this series, I think she's done a pretty good job. So I'm going to read a few sections for you. If you can't see it on the screen, apologies. I just put it up there because when you see the dot, 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 that means I've skipped something just for sake of time. Um, so she says, Nothing annoys me more than a fake Christian conversation. Do you know what I mean? A bunch of Christians begin a discussion about a hot topic. Everyone politely acknowledges each other's perspectives before giving their own. Everyone repeats the politeness and then reiterates another nuance of their perspective. Yet whilst these conversations are a useful way of collating perspectives or testing communication strategies, the reality is that it seems most people involved in them have chosen up sides before they even started talking and have a primary agenda of expressing their viewpoint rather than growing in their understanding. There's many reasons why this happens, and some of them might even be good, but there's a consistent tone throughout them all that results from an apparent absence of humility and willingness to learn. Here's the good news. I think we can get better at having real conversations. Furthermore, I'd like to propose that we get started simply by thinking about thinking. I'm not proposing that we don't debate things out. That would be unhelpful. Rather, I propose that we let our debates extend beyond the surface of our stances on different issues and become real conversations where we ask real questions and genuinely seek to understand rather than to be understood. That we shift the goalposts from the best argument wins to the best questioner wins because they understand something new and go from there. Can you imagine how different Christians would seem to non-Christians if we consistently listened to others? If we consistently asked another question rather than mentally rehearsing our best zinging comeback as we wait for our turn to speak? Granted, we might lose the comfort of a sense of certainty, but we'd also lose the tendency towards judgment that sneaks in when we presume to know the motives of someone else's heart. Hopefully sort of got where she's heading with as I read that out. I think she's basically encouraging us to show each other lots of grace. When you show someone else grace, it means you treat them favourably, uh, even if you sort of disagree with their words or actions. And that's a really appropriate thing for Christian people to do because that's what God does with us. <laughs> he looks at our actions and our words and our thoughts and he doesn't always like them, but he continues to show us his love and his favour anyway. So this series, as we look at these sort of controversial, well, slightly, sometimes controversial topics, it's not going to be about us winning the argument, okay? Because no one's perfect, no one holds a perfect opinion, and that's particularly with politics. But it's actually about everyone growing and our understanding together. Now, you may change your opinions on different topics as we go through because of what's taught or because of questions that are asked, but the point is that we're all learning together and we're not trying to put ourselves in a position where we can be judgmental of other people who disagree with us. So here's a calendar of the series to come. 
Uh, tonight is the politics topic. Who would Jesus vote for? Q&A next week. I guess that's not technically part of the series because it's not, we don't decide the topics. But I would encourage you, don't feel like you just have to ask polite questions next week. Uh, feel free to ask edgy questions. It's all good. Uh, then we'll start restart the series again. Uh, we're looking at a biblical overview of sex. What does the entire Bible say about sex? Uh, baptism and confirmation service will not be part of this series. Uh, you might want to bring your nan along or you know, some, some friends or some kids or whatever. So we'll keep it fairly G-rated on the baptism and confirmation service. Then we'll talk about romance. We'll talk about attraction and doing it. Hopefully you get what I mean when I say that. Sexuality and... Um, 7th of August will be sexuality and marriage. We will talk about uh, gay marriage and, and that, that topic that's been in uh, the election coverage and all that sort of stuff uh, over the last few weeks. That will be part of it, although it's not just about that. Uh, and then uh, the last week we'll talk about gender and the church, which we'll have a big focus on the women in leadership debate in the church, but again won't be limited just to that particular sort of um, subset of that topic. So that's the series. What we tend to do at Sunday at 6 is we usually have questions at the end of sort of every second service that we do. During this series, we will have questions at the end of every single service because we realise often people don't get a chance to talk about this stuff much and it will inevitably raise a lot of questions. So at the end of this service, after our songs tonight, um, a few of us will be here to answer any questions you have about tonight's topic, which is to do with the election. Who would Jesus vote for? If Jesus was voting in this election, who would he vote for? Um, I just want to give you a little disclaimer. I was planning something really elaborate, like where we do like a mock election coverage and so on, but then I got really sick during the week. So that spitting the water thing is like the most dramatic thing that's going to happen. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but uh, many of us will be voting on Saturday. Some of you will be voting for the first time, and some of you are not far away. You know, So you might be a little bit too young this year, but come the next federal election you'll be voting age. Also, voting is compulsory in Australia, so if you don't vote, it's kind of illegal. Uh, so it's important that everyone, you know, even if you're not able to vote this time, that you're, understand, you know, you're getting ready for it the next time. Now, some people think we shouldn't talk about politics at church. I'm not sure where that idea came from, because Jesus tended to speak about political issues of his day pretty openly and regularly. I don't know, perhaps it's considered unpolite to do it in church. I'm not really sure. I guess it could be because we can get pretty cynical about politics, can't we? Um, this American Christian called Tony Campolo once said this about um, religion. Mixing religion and politics is like mixing ice cream and manure. It doesn't do much to the manure, but it sure does ruin the ice cream. <laughs> I think we can sort of all relate to that in one way or another, you know, because particularly around election time, politics can seem like one group of formally dressed people throwing poo at another group of formally dressed people. You know, the way they sort of go at each other in debates and so on. Um, so it would be fair to ask, well, why do we want to get involved in all that sort of negative name-calling and character assassination? Why bring Jesus, who we love, who loves us, who's sort of an example of all that's good in the world, why bring him into that sort of dirty arena of politics? Um, and that's sort of the cynicism that we often have around that sort of thing. But here's the thing. If you're solu- sometimes the solution is just check out. Don't, don't think about politics at all. But checking out of things is rarely a good option under any circumstances for any issue. Uh, 
Because if, say if we check out of politics, right, and we just say, oh, I'm just going to pay no attention to it for the rest of my life, that's actually quite a judgmental, harsh thing to do. It's basically saying government, politicians, all that sort of stuff is not worth my time. So you're putting yourself in a pretty sort of high, superior position if you say that sort of thing. So where do you start? You want to take your vote seriously? You want to at least take government seriously? Where do you start? Most people turn to social media and things that friends post about politics, yeah? That's where most of you get your political information. That's certainly where I get mine. So I saw over the last few weeks a few different articles on how to vote, you know, Christianly, just different Christians sharing different things. And I think I didn't like what I read more than I liked. (laughs) Some of it was all right. But I'll give you an example of one that I didn't didn't really click with me. Christianvalues.org.au did an election checklist um, of issues that what Christians are supposed to care about. Now, um, that's going to be very hard to read, but let me summarise it for you. The right, it's got a list of issues on the left that we supposedly care about, and then the very right-hand side, guess which party that is? It's the Greens, and then to the left of the Greens is Labor, and to the left of Labor is the Liberal Party, okay? And then the rest are sort of smaller um, uh, p- political parties. So from my point of view, whilst that list did cover some issues that I care about and I think the Bible cares about, it also has some gaping holes. That was all that was on the list. Uh, and some points that I completely disagree with. So as you can see, Labor and the Greens didn't do too well in this. Like, they seemed like they might be... We could rename them Devil Party and Satan Party, given the amount of red crosses that they've got there. But it seems like this list pretty much just picked issues so that the Liberal Party would do better than those two. Um, Whereas I think if there was a bit more focus on the poor, uh, then we would have seen the other parties pick up a few more ticks. And this was actually of this particular article, an atheist on Facebook said, I'm an atheist, but I would think that if it was truly representative of Christianity, there would be more of a focus on the poor and perhaps a focus on refugees or um, you know, minimum wage, those sort of issues, Medicare, that sort of thing. Uh, but I think the only focus on refugees there is like making sure that the refugees we take are Christians. Um, I think that's, you know, that's about the only mention. 19 and 20... Oh, and then, yeah, another point is basically that we agree with the current policy on detention, I think is basically what that point is saying. So, yeah, what am I saying by putting that that list up? I'm not not saying that those people who put that list together aren't Christians. I've never met them. Like, you know, can't make a judgment about how genuine their faith is. But you can just see that they're Christians, I'm a Christian, and we have quite a different sort of perspective on... What sort of what this sort of list should look like? Um, depending on the issue, different parties will seem more like Jesus than others. So you've got this idea of right wing and left wing in Australia. Right wing tends to be more the Liberal Party. Uh, left wing tends to be more Labor and the Greens. Read one part of the Bible, it'll seem right wing. Read another part of the Bible, it'll seem left wing. And that's all good. That's not the Bible being hypocritical or whatever, because the Bible doesn't subscribe to all. I have to be line up with a certain Australian political party. So inevitably, when we vote, I guess 
it, it's, it's not, it's not going to be perfect, right? Someone actually said, like, you need to hold your nose while you drop the ballot paper in, just because there's going to be a bit of a, a bad smell coming from whoever you vote for. Because no political party is perfect, just as none of us are perfect. <laughs> um, and, and so we're not, I'm not saying we hold our nose in a judgmental situation, it's just that we're not going to be completely happy with anyone that we vote for. Now, you may have come along tonight not knowing who you're going to vote for on Saturday and just hoping that I would tell you who you should vote for. Um, sometimes this happens. People just want you to tell them. Uh, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you who Jesus would vote for either because I don't want to speak for Jesus um, on this. But some people might go, well, you shouldn't really tell people who to vote for in church. Like, that's not the church's job. We hear this line, separation of church and state. And so that means maybe, well, maybe we're just like risking talking about it. But I would actually say, I would hope that under certain circumstances, I would tell you who to vote for or who not to vote for. So, for example, I would hope that if we had the equivalent of the Nazi party here in Australia and that they were sort of potentially going to win government, that I would have the courage to tell us all not to vote for them. Like, I think that would be a perfectly legitimate thing for a preacher to do. In fact, let's do this. Let's do this, shall we? Don't vote for Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party in the Senate. They are the party founded on ideas that are contrary to God's word in major ways. There you go. I did it a little bit. Um, you can't vote for them in the House of Reps, though, because they're only in Queensland. So, but really, in Australia, we only vote for two parties, like as far as the two major parties, the Labor Party and the Liberal Party, or, or the, the Liberal National Coalition, as they're sometimes referred to. Neither of these parties stands out as being clearly way more Christian or way more in line with Jesus' teaching than the other. Um, both parties, as well as the Greens, have Christians who are signed up, members of those parties who believe that they're in the right side and some of them are running for government, some of them you can actually vote for. So it really does come down to we have to make our own decision based on our own learning and our own relationship with God. So I want to look at Romans 13 now. So please get your Bibles out, uh, or if you use your Bible app, you can open that up as well. Romans chapter 13, we're going to page 920. I think it'll be pretty obvious as I read this why I've picked this passage to look at when we're talking about politics, because it's all about government and authorities and how we respond to them. The previous chapter, Paul, who's the writer, has sort of been talking about the way Christians are to live sacrificially, to um, work together in the way we put love into action. So he's, he's in a pretty practical section of the book of Romans, and we'll read verses 1 to 10. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear from the, of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. 
They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why we pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Okay, keep that open. We'll look at that, a few verses in that in a bit of detail. Um, Probably as you went through, you know, you were having a bunch of questions and so on. Um, We probably won't cover all those questions in the talk, but there will be questions later, so hold on to them. But I picked this passage basically because it challenges every Christian person to be respectful and obedient to human leaders. Now, if we think about when this was written in the first century, um, Christianity was not in the majority. It was in a big-time minority, oppressed minority in many situations. There, there were no Christian countries like we have now where the majority of the population is Christian, which Australia sort of is, um, but you know, America would be another example. Um, there were hardly any kings or generals or governors or politicians in the world at that time who were Christians. So here the Bible is clearly telling us to obey the laws of non-Christian governments. Not just obey, but as it says in verse uh, 7, to honour and respect those leaders. So not just to go, oh, okay, but actually to bring honour and respect to those people. Now, you would think this would be a pretty easy thing to do when your government is generally a good one, right? So it's much harder when... You know, your government might be run by a corrupt dictator, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But in a comfy sort of first world place where so much of what we have in Australia is so good compared to the rest of the world, and just good even by its own standards, wouldn't this be easy to bring honour and respect to our leaders? Except culturally we find it actually really difficult (laughs) to do that. We don't respect our politicians. We try and avoid tax and whinge about having to pay it. Uh, And our leaders are generally people who we make jokes about and blame for things uh, rather than people who we seek to honour and respect. Now, from my personal sort of background in this, I find this particularly challenging, right? Because before I worked for a church, I worked in, in radio. And really, when I was on air as a presenter, most of what we did was tease politicians, like, that was pretty much, you know, you know, there was huge slabs of our show that were just dedicated to sort of tearing down politicians and making fun of them and that sort of thing. Um, and then when we were being serious about politics, we got, we got really deflated, and I still feel this sometimes as well, with, with the spin. Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about political spin? Where 
an interviewer asks a politician a question and then they don't answer the question, completely ignore it, and then get around to telling you one of their slogans. Um, and that can be really frustrating for interviewers and so on. And I just sort of get really tired. And I just feel like oh, I'm just getting dumber whenever I listen to these interviews. Uh, and it can, can sort of, you know, just make you a bit flat about the whole thing. But as I've reflected on it and been challenged by this passage, I think that's, that's a bit of a harsh way to look at it. Here's a more generous way. Perhaps we're just getting the politics that we deserve, actually. That if we actually paid our leaders more respect and more honour, maybe they'd repay that with more respect for us and more depth in what they say and you know, a bit more consideration for the intricacies of issues and that sort of thing. And that perhaps it's as much my issue as it is theirs. Um, so you know, there's two ways to think about these sort of things. Um, and, and we need to be challenged to respect our politicians more. I think I probably need to be challenged more than most of you, but I think given that we all live in Australia, we're probably inclined to lean towards teasing politicians and, and not trusting them and so on. Now, all this said, you probably had a few buts pop up into your head as I read that out. Okay? Allow me to point out perhaps the main one, which I think is in verse 2, where it says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. That means what God has put in place. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And you go, okay, if the government's good and the government cares for people, that's all good. We can obey that sort of government. But what about if we get an evil person like that president in House of Cards on Netflix? Or what about if we get an evil person, you know, like history's big bad guy like Hitler? Or what about if we get someone like a modern-day bad guy like Robert Mugabe, who's the sort of dictator of Zimbabwe? You go, what about them? You know, what about, you know, sort of extremist Islamic governments that say being a Christian is illegal? You know, how we respond to those sort of governments, you know, or even there's corruption in our own government in Australia at times. It's fairly minor, but it's still there. So is, is God really saying that we just have to give everyone the thumbs up anyway? Is that, is that what he's saying? Like, just let it all pass? Um, they're good questions. Here's what I think the passage and what generally the consensus is about the passage. is that The passage is not about giving a thumbs up to evil leaders and going, they're still good because God put them in place, so, you know, just they're good. It's not saying that, but it's, it is being generally positive about government and about authority in communities and society and that sort of thing. Um, so, yes, if you take it to an extreme that you run into some problems. But as a general principle, that government is good, I think we could probably all agree that it is. That when government's working well, everyone benefits. Massive amounts of people benefit from that. You know, you only have to look at those um, apocalyptic science fiction stories, you know, where a virus takes over or zombies take over or whatever, and the government falls apart. What, does the world get better when there's no government? No. It gets worse. You know, like vigilante parties getting around and, um, you know, all sorts of horrible stuff happening. So government and laws and that sort of thing actually bring good things to many, many people. And actually, if you look in the Old Testament, God gets really angry when power and leadership positions are misused and when they're not used for the benefit of the greater good. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If God has created authority and he's made it so that when it's done well, it's really good for everyone. 
it makes sense that he would get really angry when it's misused and used for selfish things and just to you know, help a few people rather than you know, everyone. So it's not the way to think of politicians um, you know, just going, oh, they're perfect, you know, and we just need to leave them alone. We can hold them to account. In Australia, we're fortunate enough we can vote them out, we can write them letters and all that sort of thing. But we do that with respect and honour because we know that government is something and authority is put in place by God and that God says it's a good thing and it's important for our community. Okay, how does all this apply to the way we vote on Saturday? Um, I think the passage actually gives us a really sort of easy anchor, a really easy thing to build our decision-making process on in verse 9, where he says the commandments, and then he summarises a few of the commandments from the Old Testament, they're summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. So love is the foundation for making decisions in life when you're a Christian, including your decision about who you vote for. Um, Jesus actually, you know, Jesus just summarises The actions of faithful people can be summarised in the fact that they love God and they love other people. So what I've done is I've, for, this, for a few application points, I've actually stolen um, some points from a Christian Aussie called Jared McKenna. And I think they're really helpful in just putting this love your neighbour perspective on the way we vote. So here we go. Here's a few points from him. The first point is don't vote for yourself. Um, so the command is love your neighbour as yourself, not love yourself. Right, so get that right. Consider it's about, it's about loving other people. It's about treating people the way you would like to be treated. Uh, and we follow the example of Jesus in that. In particular, we keep in the front of our minds people, the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalised and the common good. Take that into the ballot filling in booth thing. Second is that Christian doesn't equal Christ-like. So some, because a lot of Australians still um, say that they are Christian, even if perhaps day by day they don't seem to practice it, but they still sort of call themselves Christian, the word Christian is then used in political advertising to try and get people like us to vote for certain parties. And it doesn't always mean that that party is using the love your neighbour as a basis or that that advertising campaign is using love your neighbour as a basis. So here's an extreme but excellent example. The Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, you know, the guys with hoods who hate anyone who's not white, uh, they claim to be a Christian organisation. Is my point made? How about this? Kevin Rudd and Tony um, Abbott, in their, both in their campaigns to become Prime Minister, both loudly told us that they were Christians, but have since been criticising for sort of um, undermining a lot of what they said to Christians before the election, after they got, got um, elected and when they were Prime Ministers, they were often criticised for their, what seemed to be a lack of Christian heart in what they were doing and the way they presented themselves. And if you're still not convinced that people can use the word Christian just as a political tool, Donald Trump says he's a Christian and loves the Bible. I, I could drop... If the microphone wasn't expensive, I'd just drop it. But, you know, I mean, give me a break. I mean, have you heard what that guy says? So don't just assume because the word Christian is on it that it means that they're being Christ-like. Try and do a bit of research, follow through. 
um, the policies and, and all that sort of stuff that goes on underneath. Three is to know our preferential voting system. Uh, so uh, before the service, we had that Simpsons gag about it being a two-party system and that you're stuck, you have to vote for, vote for one or the other. We have a, a two-party system, but it's a bit different to America's. So don't just go on what you've learnt from TV. Do a bit of research. Work out the difference between working, um, voting for the Senate and voting for the House of Reps and that sort of thing. It's worth knowing um, so that you can make a sort of responsible vote. Um, point four is to pray. Praying is always good <laughs> for Christian people to do, uh, but it's particularly good to talk to God about who you're going to vote for. I think because it, it really puts everything in perspective, it takes the focus off yourself, helps you to focus on God, helps you to think about others and to not just vote selfishly. Um, plus he might speak to you on some issues that he really wants you to be aware of in that conversation you have with him. And the last point is don't be a jerk. So some people in this room will make different decisions about who they vote for to you. And you know what? Life goes on. No one has all the facts. We don't have a crystal ball. We can go forward and say, oh, if we vote for that party, you know, it would work really well. And if you voted for the other party, it's going to turn out. We don't know that. So if you demonise someone who disagrees with you, then you're just being a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Nobody likes jerks. <laughs> we'll have questions a little bit later, so please do you know, write them down if you've got them in your head. But I want to finish with these um, encouraging words from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Right into Christians, he says, um, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. Subscribe in your favorite podcasting app on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.